All right, what is up, everybody? Today, we have a very special guest with us. He's actually a really good friend of mine. He rocks really hard. I love going to his shows. Uh, we'll always have a good time hanging out with this guy. Uh, would you like to introduce, introduce yourself? Hey, what's up, y'all? This is Chase West. I play guitar in a band called the Velcro Pygmies. So first topic I want to bring up obviously has to be Eddie Van Halen. Yeah. What are your th- What are your thoughts? Yeah, yesterday I, that sent shockwaves across the entire world. Like just seeing, like how many people, even outside of music, that have been touched by Van Halen. It's it's one of those things. Like we were talking earlier before this started about how like polarizing things are. Eddie Van Halen was the, this guy that everybody loved him. I think you'll be hard pressed to find anybody anywhere hates this guy because i mean just if you watch him play guitar he had a smile on his face he was just having the time of his life up there playing and he literally was like a gold post um you had Jimi hendrix that like changed the whole world of guitar like what people thought was possible and then you had van halen he came and turned that whole world upside down again and for years after that, decades after that, you had people trying to copy him and sound like him. I mean, he was just not only like a great guitarist, but he was an innovator. You know, he came up and invented all this cool stuff and just he was just miles ahead of anybody at that time. Like, and even still today, I don't know how much your viewers know like about like music equipment and stuff, but um Van Halen has his own amplifier, like guitar amp. It's called the 5150. And I've been playing one for the past few years, and it's like the best amp I've ever played through, and they're super popular. What's crazy is you know Van Halen being like an 80s, you know, late 70s uh, type of band, this amp is very modern. So like even like modern metal bands and stuff will be using this amp because it's so versatile. And it's dude, it's been awesome playing that thing, and it's really has got me back in touch with like my love for Van Halen. You know, as when I started out playing guitar, like he was one of my heroes. And so Planted That Amp has kind of reconnected me to him. And it's just a shame. Uh, you know, he was one of the last living guitar legends, you know. And now that he, he's gone, I feel like it's going to be one of those things that his inspiration has touched so many people that he will live on through all these guitar players that held him so dearly. I very much agree. And that's actually the second question I was going to ask you is, uh, which guitarist had the biggest impact on you and your playing? Was he one of them? And uh, also, which other ones had an impact on you? Yeah. um, You know, a lot of people have like their favorite guitar player. And one thing I learned really quick was that all of these greats, like these names like Slash, that like even people that aren't guitar players, like they know who Slash is. You know, I tried to like latch on to like what makes that person so recognizable? Like what made Slash such an icon? Um, You know, what made Van Halen, you know, such a, a legend? You know, his innovation, his style, his image, the way he played guitar, songs he wrote. Like there's so many things that go into it. And so I would just look at all of the greats and try to find like what do all these people have in common and what do they bring into the table that makes them these legends, you know? So I've, I've taken from many people little bits and pieces and tried to formulate my own style. 
but it all gets traced back to uh, Randy Rhodes, Ozzy's first guitar player, who, um, crazy enough, him and Van Halen grew up in the same area um, in California. And in the late 70s, they were both playing on the Sunset Strip. And Eddie was more like blues-based and had all the crazy finger-tapping stuff and whammy bar stuff to where Randy Rhodes was more like classically influenced. So he was playing rock with this like crazy neoclassical side to it. And Randy, also Eddie too, they both were kind of on the like the forefront of glam. So you had like uh, like glam rock in the late 70s that turned into hair metal. They both were like on the forefront of that. And um, my uncle, he played guitar. And before I ever played, I would just, I loved watching him play and just thought it was the coolest thing ever. And he showed me Randy Rhodes, and that just like changed my life. Like, started playing guitar immediately. And then shortly after, got into Van Halen, Zach Wilde, Slash, um, amongst many others, uh, Steve Vai. And uh, it just, it was life changing. Like, just for some reason, it's like you don't see that anymore. And, uh, and now that these guys are passing away and stuff, I feel like it's on people like me to carry the torch. You know, I, I feel like it's my duty to keep guitar music alive and going, you know. I'm actually glad you said that because that was actually one of you said one of my favorite uh, guitar heroes. And that was Steve Vai. He definitely had a, a impact on me personally and my guitar playing. But uh, before we go further, let's go a little bit further back, actually. So what were you like in high school and what was high school or middle school like for you? Who is Chase West? Man. Uh, I hadn't thought about that in a while, but like, I guess, you know, I started playing music pretty young. So I was 11 when I picked up the guitar, but I was into rock and roll from like probably the third grade or so. It was like when I really first started getting into rock music. Like I loved The Doors, uh, Kiss, and Guns N' Roses. Like those were like three of my favorite bands. And um, I would like skateboard out my driveway and blast that stuff and had toyed with the idea of being a singer. And by the time I was 11, I picked up guitar and everything. And my dad used to joke around with me and would say, like, you know, you've got all the ambition. Like, you just need the skills to back it up. And what he meant by that is literally, like, from the time I had learned, like, one chord, I was, like, ready to, like, show people. Like, I wanted to play in front of people so bad. Um probably like before I was ready to be playing in front of people. Like I just had that drive to like get out there and be a showman. And so I brought my guitar with me to school like all the time. And it was funny because later on about seventh grade or so, a lot of the other guys started getting into guitar and I had this head start on them. So like I was known as like the guy at school what to go to for guitar. And, you know, because everybody was getting into it about that time and I already knew what I was doing to some extent. And um, so I didn't really fit into like any one like click or anything. Because like by the time I got into high school, um, I was in marching band for a little bit. And then I moved to jazz band. I was doing choir. So I was in like all those music classes and stuff. And one of my best friends was like this. He was kind of a jock, but he was just super cool everybody loved him friends with everybody like he wasn't one of those mean jocks like 
he would hang out with the special ed class and stuff. Or if he saw some kid sitting by himself, he would go over and cut a joke and like get the kid laughing. You know, he was just super nice. But everybody loved him. He was on the football team and stuff. But he was like a really good musician too. And so we started playing music together and like being friends with him, you know, it's, we played a lot of the parties and stuff for all the popular kids and whatnot. And, but I was also cool with like the goth kids or the nerd kids or whatever. Like I just, like I said, everybody saw me as like this musician. So I just kind of fit in with everybody. But uh, at the same time, I will say it's like I had a bunch of acquaintances, but not a whole lot of like super close friends. And, um, I feel like I've been like that most of my life. Like I've got a lot of friends and stuff, but there's usually only a small handful of people that I'm like super close with. And uh, it's usually like we could talk about anything, um, have similar interests or like we go way back. And, um, you know, it's almost like having like brothers or something, you know, Uh, one person that comes to mind is like Jacob, you know, our, our bass player that passed away. Anybody that know that whole story is crazy. You can look it up online, but um, yeah, like when I met Jacob, it was just like we were brothers or something. Like we liked all the same stuff. We went way back with like all the stuff we were into, and so we just like clicked, and so we were like super close friends. Yeah, I was actually going to ask about Jacob. Like what were your some of your best memories with him that not a lot of people know, or what was it like having him at, you know, as a band member with you? Yeah, um, one of the funniest things is that – you know, we both lived in the same town together. We were like next door neighbors. So we would carpool to, to Birmingham every week to meet up with the rest of the guys. And then when we were on the road, we were roommates, like staying in the same hotel. So we spent just a lot of time together. And we had pretty much told each other like every story that we had. Like, you know, everybody has like their stories from growing up or crazy stuff that happened. Well, we had like told them all. And so there would be countless times we'd be riding down the road and it would be like, hey, dude, I know I've told you this story again, but I'm going to tell it like another time. So just like maybe there'll be some new details in it or something. But yeah, so we would like literally tell the same stories to each other over and over again. So was your first genre of music that you really got into, was it classic rock or was it something else and you progress into classic rock or whatever you like the most now? Well, like I was saying, the first band that really, like, moved me was The Doors. And it's funny stories. Like, not my uncle that taught me guitar, but another uncle gave me this tape of The Doors because he thought it sucked. Like, he's like, here, this sucks. You can have it. And, like, on the cover of the tape was a picture of Jim Morrison. You know, he looks like a rock star. And so that piqued my interest enough to put the tape in and listen to it. And man, I loved it. It was like they're probably their greatest hits or something like that. So like there was just a lot of good songs on it. And I like got super hardcore into the doors. And then um, Guns N' Roses, Appetite for Destruction, and Kiss. Because like Kiss was my first concert. And it, that just changed my life. Like those three bands, like I knew like with 100% like what I wanted to do. Like there was no doubt about it. Like I knew what I wanted to do. And um, over the years, like, my tastes have expanded. Like, when I was coming up through, like, high school and stuff, you know, a lot of the, like, new metal stuff was popular. So, like, uh, Breaking Benjamin, uh, Limp Biscuit, Puddle of Mud, 
all that kind of stuff was what was on the radio. And I liked some of it. Also, the emo stuff was starting to come in, like Fallout Boy <laughs> and My Chemical Romance. And I liked that stuff, yes. too. Um, like, the band I was in in high school, like, we played some of that stuff. But, like, the 80s rock is what I liked the most. And um, I was just that kid that I didn't like what everybody else liked. Like, it's almost like football. And I, I don't want to, like, clown on football. But I feel like there's probably a lot of people out there that they watch football just because everybody else watches football. And I've never really been that interested in football. It just, I mean, I respect that the, the guys are crazy athletes. They've got talent, but it just doesn't entertain me. And um, mm-hmm. it was kind of like that with music. Like the stuff that was popular when I was coming up, I mean, some of the songs I liked and thought were cool. But what I really liked the most was like the old school, like 80s rock and roll. And I, I think the big part of that was just like the showmanship. Like those guys were like larger than life. And I think also to the fact that I play guitar, you know, there's more guitar solos and stuff back then. And so I just, the whole package was just more appealing. And so that's what I was into the most. Um, and then as time has gone on, like there's been newer bands come out, um, which they're not so new anymore, but like the darkness, I don't know if you've ever heard of them, but like they, it's almost like a mix between like ACDC and Queen. Uh, maybe like a little bit of Thin Lizzy thrown in there. Um, amongst many others. It's almost like a melting pot of classic rock. And dude, they are like like going to see them live. Like they sound amazing. And then I've also gotten into a lot of the newer, like um, like the metal stuff. The kind of like warp Tour, like alternative, like underground type stuff. Um, bands like Black Bell Brides, Escape the Fate, Falling in Reverse. Um, I've really gotten into that stuff through more recent years and think it's really cool. And there's a lot of awesome guitar playing on that stuff as well. Mm. You know, one of the things that first actually attracted me to your band is obviously y'all's appearance because y'all y'all do take a lot of pride in y'all's appearance. Y'all do look like an actual band. Y'all put on a great performance like an actual you know rock band is supposed to. So what yeah. would you say uh, influenced the way that your appearance is? Uh, was it more, you know, from the glam and all the classic rock, or was it a little bit mixed in with, you know, some of the emo music that you were saying? And how has your appearance progressed from when you first started getting into it to now? Yeah, I did think it was cool, that, like, when some of the, like, emo and screamo stuff, they you could tell that they were influenced by, like, the hair metal stuff. I thought that was cool, and when I was younger, a lot of people made fun of emo, and so, like, I thought that, like, I was almost scared to even give it a chance, but if you really think about it, like, music, people say that music is, like, the language of emotions, so what's wrong with your music being emotional? Like, Mm -hmm. I think your music should be passionate and emotional, and you should be, like, you should feel it, you know? Um... When it comes down to like some of these emo bands being like whiny or like poor pitiful me, like yeah, I think that's kind of silly. But like falling in reverse, like there's nothing really whiny about that. Like I mean, he he sings about being a badass and he's passionate <laughs> about it. Um, but yeah, like going back to like the whole like image thing, I think that it's a really important side of it that a lot of musicians choose to ignore, and. Why it's so important is it's another way to express yourself. It's another way to put your art out there. So, like, 
yeah, like you make art with your music. Like you you get creative and you, know, you come up with this music. Or even if you're playing covers, you know, you're putting your own spin on it, trying to make it your own. Well, like your image is a whole other place to put influence on, to express yourself. You know, so I think that you should put a lot of thought into it as a band. And as you said, too, like the stage performance part of it. I mean, it's just more fun to watch a band that's having fun up there versus a band that's just staring at their shoes like they're bored or something. Um, yeah, I've played hundreds, probably even into thousands of live shows because, I mean, we play you know, 200 shows a year on average. And I've been in this band since 2013. And I was playing every weekend before that as well. So I mean, I've, I've probably got, you know, in the thousands of shows under my belt. And a live show is, it's a situation where the band and the crowd feed off each other. I mean, it's every show. Like when the band's putting more in, energy into it, it gets the crowd hyped up. And when you have a hyped crowd, it makes the band play even harder. And so they just, they feed each other. And it's so important. Velcro Pygmies is in your first band, correct? No, I, I was in, I think, like three bands before that. So um, I had a band in high school uh, with my buddy I told you about earlier, Scott. And then there's another guy, Nick, who played drums. He had been playing drums since he was like four years old. So he was like a virtuoso, like just stupid good. Um, Nick is actually in a band called Whiskey Kiss now. Um, actually, a lot of people I played with are in that band. But, um, yeah, that was my band in high school, and um, it was super fun. Like, all my first shows, like, you know, we played in our hometown. Like, we weren't even old enough to be in these bars, but somehow we had, like, gotten a gig there. And, like, we did really well. Um, and then I moved on from that. That evolved into a band called The Glitter Boys, which was, like, you know, people give me hell for that name. I did not come up with <laughs> yeah. it. I was never a fan of it, but it was a glam 80 glitter type type thing, you know, like it was just, I don't know. That's why they wanted to call it the glitter boys because it was all like glam hair metal kind of stuff. So, and I feel like that prepared me for what I'm doing now, big time. But um, in that band, we had some original music. We were signed to indie label that was based out of Las Vegas. Uh, it was called Retrospect Records. And we would do the Rocklahoma Festival in Oklahoma every year. And during Rocklahoma season, we would actually like tour our way out there doing original shows. And so I got a lot of experience in doing original music. And uh, dude, it's tough doing it. You don't make hardly any money. Um, it's really hard to get people to give you a chance. Uh, yeah, it, that's its own thing. It's, it's crazy. And then for a little while, I played in a band called Misuse um, with a guy, Joey Tannehill. He plays in a band called Pop Fiction now, but he used to play in U.S., which is another big band that plays kind of similar places that we do. Um, and then he did some other projects as well that, that were pretty successful. And then the band was kind of formed around like a girl lead singer. And I, I realized really quick that I did not – want to be in a band with a chick um mm. like it wasn't anything personal it just wasn't for me um so I, I did the glitter boys for a long time and then uh got the offer from the velcro pygmies and you know band's been around since 1990s super successful these guys know what they're doing 
and it was just like the next logical step, you know, just to to keep trying to progress with my career. I mean, the pygmies, like in the south, uh, southeast, like there's not many bands doing more than we are. Like not to like sound arrogant about it or whatever, but there's just not many bands in the region uh, that are like the pygmies. So I'm super fortunate to be here. Love doing it. Mm-hmm. And uh, so when you first joined the Velcro Pygmies, what was it like for you? And how has it been different for you through the through the years for who you are as a person? Well, when I started, like like I said, it was not unheard of to be sleeping on somebody's floor. Um, like, I feel like I did pay a lot of dues um, before joining the Pygmies. Like, there were shows, like, where literally, like, our mission, like, at our show would be to try and meet somebody that would let us come do laundry at their house, maybe crash on their couch. Oh, wow. um, and, you know, we did do some cover shows throughout the year so we could pay our bills, but we were all crammed up in one apartment, and uh, we would do crazy stuff like host our own crawfish bowls to, like, raise money to, like, pay our bills and stuff. So we – I was barely getting by. And I think for a little bit, I had to move back home with my parents before I joined the Pygmies. Um, so yeah, like I was, I was struggling financially, but I was getting a lot of like real world experience. And so like, once I joined the Pygmies, it was like, it was a big step up, you know, like my uh, Facebook and stuff. Like I probably doubled the amount of people that I was friends with like overnight. And, um, was able to make enough money to actually like live somewhat comfortably. So it, it was pretty big jump, but at the same time, like I said, I felt like I was really well prepared for it. You and I have talked about this before, but how did that offer even come up with the pygmies and you joining them? Dude, it was crazy. Like, so a lot of bands can be secretive about certain stuff. Like no band wants to like put it out there that they're having like problems with band members or that they're like even looking for a new band member because then it might scare somebody off. You know, it'd be like if you told right. your girlfriend you're looking to replace her, like she might just <laughs> take off, you know? Like, yeah. so yeah, I like in my band that I was in at the time, like we had done some really cool stuff, but we had just gotten stagnant. Like, I, I just didn't see the band continuing to grow like it had. And I was trying to put the word out there that I like was looking to do something else without alerting my bandmates. Cause I, I mean, I was really good friends with these guys, you know? So I didn't, for one, I didn't want to make them mad at me and start a bunch of stuff like before even doing anything, you know, it was, it was a tough decision. Cause like I said, I was really tight with those guys, but I literally told like two or three people, and one of the people I told was this band called Lynam, and they were friends with the Pygmies, and they secretly knew that their guitar player was on his way out. And so it was one of those kind of behind-the-scenes things, like whispering in ears. It just, like, worked out perfectly. And so, like, within, like, a week or two, Kim, like, had me playing a show with them. Like, it happened, like, super fast. And, and crazy enough, when I first, like, got the offer, I wasn't even sure about doing it. Because, like I said, I was such good friends with the guys in my band. Like, I didn't want to, like, screw them over. 
So like at the very least, I wanted to like finish out the shows on our calendar, so I wouldn't just leave them hanging. And um, what ended up happening is the guy that was playing guitar and the pigs before me, he just like quit like suddenly. Like I don't know if he caught wind that you know I, I might might be joining the band soon. But yeah, he just suddenly quit like just like that. So they needed me like immediately. And I had to learn like three, four hours of music in like a week. And luckily, I like came in and nailed it. Like I said, I felt like I'd laid a lot of the groundwork to be able to do this before I got here. So I literally just jumped right on in, man. It felt just like at home. So you travel a lot. Aside from the uh, live performances everybody does see and all the, you know, all the uh, theatrics and all the, you know, performances and, and all the, you know, fun that y'all have on stage, uh, what are some of the more difficult things or just the aspects of a traveling band that others don't see? Well, uh, you know, we promote having a good time. It's like kind of like the party atmosphere. So, like, every night that we're playing, and, you know, a lot of us don't drink, and, you know, this is something that I hadn't really publicly put out there very much. But I used to I used to indulge a little too much, and that became a serious problem for me. Uh, so, like, I had to get sober. And Cam, our singer, he's been sober his entire life. He's never oh, drank wow. a drop. Yeah. And he parties harder than anybody, you know? Like, <laughs> like not in it's the sense true. of getting messed up, but he just has yeah. a good time. Like, look at a little kid at a party. Like, they are mm. partying hardcore without getting messed up. And I guess I used to think that I had to get messed up in order to party. And now, like, the whole paradigm has changed. And so it's it's actually, like, a good challenge to party and hang with all these uh crazy people getting drunk and stuff while being sober. Um, it's like almost like you said to learn how to turn that part of yourself on and, and realize that you don't have to rely on substances to do it. Cause ultimately like if you're playing, you know, more days than you're not, if you drank on all those days, you'd be an alcoholic cause you'd be drinking more days than not. So, um, you know, that's one thing that took a little bit for me to like figure out, and it's something I still work on a little bit. It's like I could get better at it. But it, like I said, it's a good challenge. Um, as far as other things that maybe people don't realize is like, yes, like we're partying hardcore like during our show and all that. But it's a literal full-time job. A lot of people don't see the part where you know we have to drive several hours. We're setting up our light show and sound system all day haul ass back to the hotel and get ready for an hour or two and then come play the show, tear it down, try and get back to the hotel and get a little bit of sleep. And if there's like really my only complaint with what we do is it's hard to get enough sleep. And when you don't get enough sleep, you can get ran down, you can get sick. And, um, you know, I'm in the gym a lot too. So you know, like, you got to get that sleep in order to recover. Um, like for instance, this past week, I, like I had to take a week off from the gym because I just couldn't recover. Uh, so like my back and like my whole leg has just been like killing me because I hadn't been getting enough sleep in order to heal. So like every once in a while, you got to take a little bit of downtime, heal yourself. 
Yeah, there were certain times when I saw Cam. He he's always doing like something on live, or you know, he's promoting like the hell out of himself like all the time. The band he does an amazing job at it. Great marketer too. Oh, yeah. um, there's certain times. <laughs> there's there's a lot of times when I've seen um, you know the the bus or whatever y'all tour and breaks down as well. And then sometimes that takes a while. So does it happen often, or or is that kind of like every now and then type thing? Well, it's yeah. I mean. Almost every day, we get presented with challenges that need to be overcome. You know, we we may set our light show up, and some of the lights aren't working. And, you know, it's just one of those things. And from what I understand, like, listening to people that run these, like, big businesses and stuff, that's totally normal. Um, No matter what you do, like, things aren't going to go, like, the way that you expect. Like, unexpected stuff's going to pop up and challenge you. And so it's just something that we're used to, you know, we're very adaptable, we're very agile. You know, we just, when something happens like that, we just find the quickest solution and go from there. Like, cause I don't think we've, we've like hardly ever had to cancel a show over something. Mm-hmm. Like there's been, there's one time our truck broke down with all our gear in it and we just like rented a U-Haul got some of our stuff out and went to the show and left the truck on the side of the road and dealt with it later. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah, I mean, you just, you just kind of make it happen. And um, a lot of people, you know, they see Motley Crue and they read the dirt and they're like, think that it's just this like 24 seven, like party, you know, like do whatever you want. Um, but the reality of it is like, it's a profession, you know, like there's a lot of stuff that you got to put into it. And even the guys in Motley Crue, they may not want you to know this, but they were working hard too behind the scenes. I mean, mm-hmm. they were great marketers and great songwriters. As we both know, uh, as everybody that is listening to this right now knows, with the shutdown going on, there we know, you and I both know a lot of bands. And a lot of those bands haven't been able to play or perform because obviously the bars are closed down and everything else. How has the coronavirus infected uh, affected your band and performing? And how have y'all uh, pivoted from that recently? Because y'all are doing shows now. Yeah. Well, honestly, like right now, you would almost not even know that that stuff's been going on, strangely enough. And I feel like right now we're at the point where people are they're starting to get kind of over it, you know? Like some people they get trapped inside for too long they get antsy and they it starts messing with their head and they they got to get out and do something um, but when all this like very first happened you know like when the entire country was pretty much shut down for a few months like me and my girlfriend went to my parents house um, and I like hardly ever see my family like I usually see my dad like once a year for christmas so we like got some family time in and it was great. Like, like, you know, like I was talking about when stuff comes up, you got to make the best of it. That's exactly what we did. Like, we got a lot of family time in. Um, I got some much needed rest. And what's strange, like, about playing, like, guitar on the road all the time, you know, like, I feel like sometimes I'm playing out on the road more than I'm practicing. And so it gave me some time to actually, like, work on my craft, you know, to work on my guitar chops and stuff. It was like just like a nice little vacation for three months, and then we've been back on the road. And luckily, like you were talking about Cam, our singer, 
he's just such a great businessman and marketer. Like he, he's been doing this for a long time and he knows what he's doing by this point. Like while all these other bands were either too scared to go play or, you know, couldn't make it happen. These bars don't want to close down. I don't think any mm-hmm. business wants to close down cause they're losing money. And that, and not that it's just all about money, but if, if you're not bringing in any money, you're one going into debt, like bad debt Two, you're not able to put food on the table. And then, like I said, a lot of people are getting so cooped up in their houses. Like they're just dying to get out and do something like we're making that happen. You know, Cam's actually found any loophole or way to get us to play. You know, he's been on the phone with all these bars and stuff for any of the bars that want to be open and have music. We'll come down there and play like we'll make it happen. So does it feel like an actual normal show pre-coronavirus, or does it does it still almost. kind of feel like that? Almost. Almost. I mean, you might see a few masks in the crowd and stuff. Or when we start out, like a lot of these venues, like they're having to take certain precautions. So like maybe they have to like lower the capacity a little bit, or like spread some tables out a little bit. There's been a few shows they had to put a cattle rail up where people couldn't get because we like having people right up on the front of the stage with us. But there's been a few times they've had to put a rail up to keep people back some. But like you would barely know that it was happening, you know, and like we were talking about, like before the show started, I think that, you know, this it's not going to just go away, but I think people are just it's going to be like the flu or something. You know, where it's something out there that could happen to you. There's a good chance you'll get over it, but there's also a chance that if you're old or unhealthy, that it, it may present some problems. And so for those people, they may need to take extra precautions. But like like I said, do we shut the whole country down for the flu? No. Mm-hmm. So I, I think that people will, um, that things will get back to normal before too long. I think people are just, they're dying for it. I agree with that. Um, so do you just ignore all the people that are kind of like really like, you know, keep everything closed down and, you know, no bars should be open? Or how do you deal with that, especially recently? Yeah, well, as yeah, was, as many of, of you might know, there's a lot of drama that just happened like very recently where those types of people, they had come across a post on the Velcro Pygmies page of people in the crowd like having a good time. And so they just started freaking out about it. Like it went viral. It was like on the news and it, it was just insane. And like a funny side note, it came out like we were in Tuscaloosa when that first happened. The mayor's daughter was like seen in the crowd somewhere without a mask, you know, like that just goes to show you like there's so many different types of people out there that like that are kind of over it. But at the same time, you have these other people that are like, they're crazy about like they think that everybody should be sitting under their bed hiding right now. And I'm cool with that. Like if you think that you need to do that, like by all means, stay inside, especially like if you're old or like have a condition or something, you know, protect yourself. But this is a free country and that I don't think that it should be like imposed on everybody to have to do anything. I think that it should be up to each person's individual choice. I agree with that as well. But um, shifting topics for a little bit, 
one of the things that a lot of people do love about you and your band is y'all do other things outside of, you know, just performing and giving everybody a good time at the bars. Like, for example, something you said earlier is the, uh, the Reach and Teach program. Um, how was that idea come up with and how has that impacted you? And what, yeah. what is it as well, if you want to explain? Yeah, Reach and Teach, for those of you that don't know, um, basically it's a curriculum that teachers go through at the school. Um, it's, you know, they pull in a lot of different classes, but one of them is like the marketing class. And they teach these kids basically how to do stuff in the real world. So they actually put on this concert themselves. They advertise it themselves, promote it. They sell the tickets. They come up with different packages. So like some kids get the VIP tickets that are more expensive where they get out of school for the whole day and um, get to be in the gym and like helping out and stuff, you know, get like a, be able to get like photos and stuff like they, everyone does it slightly different. And that's, what's cool about it is cause it's kind of in the hands of these kids and it results in us going to these high schools and playing a concert in the gym. And it takes me back to when I was a little kid and saw my first rock concert, how life changing that was. And when I first set out to do this, that's kind of like was my inspiration. Like I wanted to inspire others. Like I wanted to be able to do the same thing for other people. And so like we're actually getting to do that, which is super cool. Uh, so like really the, the only like, I guess, downside of it is that like, hey, we're a rock band. We get a little crazy. And whether people know this or not, like we are able to go and play a clean show that's like PG. Like there's no cussing or anything like that because um, mm -hmm. people have seen us in the bars and, you know, we can be somewhat provocative. And um, <laughs> Very different, yeah. Yeah, so it's like you're still getting the Velcro Pygmies. It's just somewhat tamer in the sense that there's not any cussing or like too much like craziness. And like we've had some drama over that too, like people thinking that it's messed up that you know this crazy rock band is playing for these kids. But what they don't know, for one, these kids, the stuff that they're listening to, like the stuff that's on the radio, like WAP. I mean, come on. Like, oh that's, yeah. I mean, yeah. That's, <laughs> yep. that's if you're like offended by stuff, like you should be offended by that before you're offended by us. You know. For those who don't know. Uh... The ones that are listening to this that is a song by cardi b that is very has some very uh explicit lyrics in it um that your kids are probably listening to but no. <laughs> yeah other than that hey, um, i'm all for it like i just don't like the double standard of because like what's funny is it's like yeah like rappers like they can like talk about like getting messed up and like hooking up with all these girls or even shooting people and it's like totally like fine, but like if a rock band sang about that stuff, they would like they would get some flack for it. And the the one that really gets me the most is like, in in like the rap game, you're like glorified like if you're like making money and getting rich and stuff. But like mm -hmm. it's not cool for a rocker to like be capitalistic like that. And like you know if anybody knows the Velcro Pygmies, they know that a lot of, we believe in capitalism like. Yes, like I want to make money and get rich, and I want to do it in a way that's like helping other people. Like, mm -hmm. I don't, I'm not saying like you should steal or do something unethical to get rich. I'm just saying like I want to play my music and entertain people, inspire people, 
and like give them something really cool and then throughout that process make some money along the way you know i don't think there's anything wrong with that why do you think y'all have received some flack from some of the i guess parents or maybe even some of the teachers in in the program well funny is we hadn't had any flack from any teachers you know mm-hmm. um and the, usually like if it is a parent it'll be tied to something else like there's like some other re like they don't like us for whatever reason like like there was like this one person that like they used to be a fan of the band and i guess they felt like they had gotten left out or something and so then they decided they didn't like us and then they tried to like say like that they didn't want us playing at the school that their kid went to so like it, it was one of those things like you know we hadn't done anything wrong it's just you know drama happens um anytime like i mean just go look on youtube or instagram of like any like famous person or channel like there's going to be people on there like talking crap it's just right. how it goes how has this impacted the children that y'all put on performances for and you know do these type of things like what have you heard well, from them what have you seen Don't. that's been the one thing since all the corona stuff happened we have not done any reach and teach shows um, that's kind of been on hold for right now until all this gets sorted out. Yeah, pre-coronavirus, though, I mean, like, what what is the impact that you've seen in the children that, you know, you've performed for and taught how to do all this type of stuff? Oh, I mean, dude, there's been some that, like, there'll be some kids that will actually get up and perform with us. And so, like, it changes their life. I mean, they there's this one kid who was, like, super quiet. He's a guitar player and just like, you know, kept to himself, seemed, you know, pretty like, um, like meek, you know, and he got up there and the whole school saw him just kill it. Like, cause he was a, actually he's a really good guitar player and he like got to showcase that in front of the whole school. And then it like gave him a new identity almost. Like he wasn't just that weird kid that, that didn't say much, like, now they saw him as like a musical genius, you know, like totally like changed the game. So like seeing that kind of stuff, like that, that'll make you feel really good about, about what we're doing that we're able to change some of these kids' lives like that. That's awesome, man. So you and I both uh, have been in a few bands and we've seen so many bands fall apart, break up, never get off the ground, have problems progressing and so on. So in your opinion, uh, what have you seen are common problems in a band? And how does a band learn to stick together better and grow together? Well, um, you know, it can come down to a lot of things. You know, I mean, you do need similar personalities that mesh, or at least having enough respect for each other. I mean, you're basically living with these other people. If you tour a lot and stuff. So, you know, if, if somebody's, like, kind of having an off day or something, knowing just to, like, kind of let them have their space, you know, like, it's just, like, about kind of reading each other, you know. It's, it's not hard to get along with people if you actually put some effort into it, as long as you're respectful of each other and whatnot. But um, beyond that, like, the biggest thing is that you just have the same goals. I think for a band to be successful and everybody to stay in that band, they have to all want the same thing. So like, you know, for us, like we want to grow the band, you know, we want the, the Velcro Pygmies to be the biggest band ever. 
So like we're putting in everything we can to try and make that happen. And so when you have a, a common goal like that, it, it uh, really brings you all closer together. But when you want different things, that's when it can kind of lead people to go their separate ways. So let's shift topics a little bit. Because you and I, before we got on this episode, we were talking about um, you and uh, you said you wanted to, one of your goals is to start uh, promoting more and doing more things on social media, establishing more of who you are and your presence and everything like that. So uh, let's, let's talk about what are some of the concerts you've been to, um, some of the bands you would love to see but haven't seen yet, and also your social media presence as well. Yeah, dude. I've like seriously thought about like starting to vlog. Um, you know, Max, our bass player, he's trying to get like this vlog thing up and going. But I was just thinking maybe like on my stories, like uh, Instagram or Snapchat stories, just kind of like my everyday life, like kind of keeping updates on there and letting everybody know what's going on. Because um, yeah, I've been pretty quiet on social media for a long time, and um, part of that is just like you know, kind of, there can be a lot of negativity out there and stuff. And so like, I just focus on more important stuff. And so I, I don't spend a whole lot of time on social media for that reason. Um, but at the same time, like I know I need to be posting on there more and stuff. And so like, yeah, I've, I'm going to start like showing more like what I have going on like when I'm not on the road and stuff or like behind the scenes and you know, maybe even talk about stuff like that's not music related or like my thought process behind things. Um, but yeah, like if you go, go back, like I used to go to a lot of concerts uh, before, like it's weird because we're like one of the only bands playing right now. But like mm -hmm. before all this, anytime that we were off and there was a band coming through somewhere nearby, I would go see them. So like I saw Falling in Reverse many a times, um, Slash, went and saw Buckethead, um, not too long before the shutdown. Um, man, I saw Ozzy and Zach Wild. That was super cool. Man, that was that one was like a big one because that's you know part of the reason I started playing and I'd never seen e either one of them perform before. So yeah, that was like one of my favorite concerts, Ozzy Zach Wild. But yeah, it's and before all this, like it's it is hard to make that happen. You know, find a day where a band I like is coming through, but we're not playing, and I can, like, go see it. And uh, right. believe it or not, like, I had tickets to go see Motley Crue, Def Leppard, Poison. Of course, mm. it got postponed, and so I'm hoping I can still make that one, because that would be cool. <laughs> so what, what are some of the craziest things that you've seen since playing live? Oh, man. It's it's weird because like at this point nothing like shocks us or surprises us, you know, like yeah, some of it like I'm almost like scared to like say on here because it's like X rated, you know, <laughs> but like I mean we've seen everything from it's in the middle of Happy Birthday, and this guy these two guys just start going at it like decking each other in the face like just a fight to the death during happy birthday and, and and inevitably for some reason like when we're playing the slow songs is like when a fight breaks out i don't know why but that's when that's it happens like during the slow songs you know <laughs> but yeah i mean we've seen people lose their clothes or say just like the most outlandish stuff 
you know, we've also stayed in some very sketchy hotels. Some of it, like I said, it's just, it's too much to put out there. You know, it's just kind of, it's bad. And so that's why I say just like, I feel like we've seen it all. Like literally, like it's not very often that something happens that we're like, wow, I can't believe that just happened because it's, you know, you get into, you know, late night at a bar, there's alcohol involved or some of these sketchy hotels, like there's no telling what could happen. What do y'all typically do? Because I've been to a few of your shows already, and I've actually, uh, I'm glad I've never actually seen a fight break out before uh, during one of the shows that I've attended. So what do y'all typically do whenever something like that happens or some wild disruptive event happens? It just depends on how bad it is. I mean, if it's a small little scuffle, you know, we'll just keep playing. But if it's like, if it starts getting too bad, like we'll stop. And Pete, our sound guy, will bring up all the lights where everybody can see so that security can get over there and break it up. But yeah, it's usually in in these crowds like that when there's a fight, like whoever gets hit first ends up getting trapped in all these people where they can't move. And the other guy's just wailing away at them, you know? And then inevitably, you know, you'll have like a girl try and get up in the middle of it. I don't know if you've ever seen that, like at a bar. For some reason, the girls try and get in the middle of it. Like they're either trying to like break it up or like tell these guys like what to do. Mm -hmm. Like, and it it only makes it worse, obviously. Yeah, that's that's always funny. Like watching some girl try to get involved with it. So you've been playing guitar for a number of years now. Uh, For anyone just picking up the guitar right now, or even those they feel um, they've hit a plateau and they're playing, what does the process look like for improving your skill as a guitarist from beginner to expert? And how did you do it? Well, you have to realize that there's so many ways to improve. So if you think you're at a plateau, you've got to change your paradigm. You have to look at the whole thing in a different way. And one thing that I have consistently done over the years, I feel like this is the most powerful thing is to stay inspired. So like, you know, when I started out, I was all into Randy Rhodes. Like I was learning all his solos, learning about like how he set up his equipment to get certain sounds and whatnot, what kind of scales and chords progressions that he used. And then after, you know, a few months or so, like I might get into Van Halen and start exploring that type of playing, all the finger tapping and harmonics and whammy bar stuff. Um, and then even like, oh, like I'm going to go check out like Ingve Malmsteen, work on all my shredding, like fast guitar playing all the way back to like Keith Richards, you know, like I'll go through a Keith Richards phase where I'm kind of like, like he wasn't all about like shredding on the guitar. Like the things that made him great was very different from what makes like Steve Vai great. And so I'll go through these little phases, like where I'll remember something that inspired me. And I'll really like, you know, sponge it up, just like bathe in it for a few months. And then I'll move on to something else. And then I'll go back and revisit that every so often as needed. And then like I'll talk about changing your paradigm. You can even look at it like outside of just playing guitar. Because like how many people like Angus Young from ACDC or like, the guitar player from Lincoln Park 
Like they're neither one of those people are super technical and they're also way different from each other. But like, how did they make it so successful? Like, because it's not just like the chops and, you know, technical ability. It was like other things. So you can like really start thinking about it that way. Like how can you improve your stage presence or your, your image, like your, your stage, get up your style and stuff. You know, like maybe work on your songwriting or work on like singing and playing guitar, you know, or ear training. Like, like I said, the list just goes on and on. Like if you can really brainstorm and get creative, there's countless ways to improve yourself, you know, and it can be having to do with your guitar or not with your guitar. It can be outside of playing guitar. And I'm mean, just, you know, for me, it's just you got to try to level up as many of those areas as possible. Did you ever get into any music theory at any time or uh, yeah. any type of, yeah. I always tell people that you don't have to learn that stuff because it can be boring. And especially when you're starting out, like you want to like learn and play stuff that makes you excited because that'll keep you going, keep you like progressing more than trying to fight yourself and like learn something that you don't want to learn. But at the end of the day, it is very helpful to know like some basic theory. Like, at least know the names of your basic chords and, like, know, like, where to find, like, most of your main notes on the guitar neck. Like, if somebody looks over at you and says, now play an A, like, you should be able to do that. But if they're like, hey, like, you know, like, that some, like, very complex, like, what's the flatted third of the harmonic minor scale, like, whatever, like, you don't have to right. know all that. Like, that's that's overkill. It'll help you knowing it, but you don't have to know it. But as long as you know enough to be able to talk shop, like, oh, like, yeah, here's where the E chord is. Or, like, know, maybe know some, like, basic scales if you play guitar solos, you know? Because, like, like I said, you can play without knowing it, but it just helps you communicate better. And then when you start writing songs and stuff, it can help you... Um, come up with stuff as well let's create a good starter kit right now so if anyone thinking about picking up the guitar what are the essentials like a good solid starter kit um, someone should have and what brands okay um man there's a number of ways you could go about it like i started out with a squire stratocaster and a Same. fender <laughs> frontman um, and that amp the fender frontman dude that's it's a great amp. It's like a hundred bucks, but like it's got a great clean sound and the distortion on it's pretty good too. And there's not too many freaking knobs on it. Cause like for some reason, like all these starter kit amps, they're starting to like add more and more features to them and they're getting over complicated. And sometimes like the more knobs and features you have on something, the harder it is to dial it in and get it sounding good. Versus like something pretty basic, it's easy to dial in a good sound. You know, so sometimes like having too many options can be counterproductive. So yeah, I would just get like a Fender Frontman amp and like a Squire Strat, or you could get an Epiphone Les Paul. Might be a little bit more, but that guitar will actually last you longer. Because like with the Squire Strat, like they do make some that are nice. But like the starter versions that are usually like around, you know, 150 bucks or so, like you're going to want to upgrade from that eventually to where if you get like an Epiphone Les Paul, like 
one of the standards or even a custom, that's going to run you around five, 600 bucks, somewhere in there. Um, mm-hmm. But you could find one used, which I love buying used stuff. Like I'm all about that because you get it for so much cheaper. And a lot of times like there's nothing wrong with it or it can be fixed up for super cheap. So yeah, like to me, the perfect starter kit would just be getting like a Fender Frontman amp and like an Epiphone Les Paul. And not like one of the juniors or whatever, but like an actual like like an Epiphone Les Paul standard. And of course, you're going to need your cable to go to your amp and you're going to need some kind of lessons or something. Like I started on a uh, like a VHS tape to like learn my basic chords and stuff. Um, but mm. you could get like a guitar teacher. Um, there's there's also a lot of stuff on YouTube. And um, for anybody out there wondering as well, I, I even do Skype lessons from time to time myself. And um, over the years, like I'm a, I've got a YouTube channel and I'm not super active on there, but I've like, over the years, I've like added some content to it, like on how to play guitar and stuff. And that's mm-hmm. something that I'm going to be putting a lot more into going forward as well. Because like I have people ask me about it all the time. And um, so I'd like to be able to have like some YouTube videos I can point them to. Like, believe it or not, like on YouTube, I've got a lot of private videos that like most people can't like actually find it if you were to search for it. But I can send you a link for it, and then you can watch the video. And mm-hmm. I've got all kind of lessons like that, just from us doing reach and teach stuff, like versus like teaching somebody to play the same song over and over. Like I've just got like a lesson on it, like already recorded, and it's just private, so that way I can just like send it out to people as needed. So, um, but yeah, that's something I'm gonna be doing a lot of going forward is like more pre-recorded lessons in addition to Skype lessons. So what about pedals? Are there any essential pedals, or do you not need those for a good starter? Really, no. Yeah, starting out, you don't need all that stuff. Like, you'll end up spending more time messing with that than you will, like, practicing or playing stuff. I mean, to this day, like, on stage, I use hardly any pedals. Our sound guy adds a lot of the effects, like the echo and reverb and stuff. Um, But, yeah, like, I would just focus on playing when you're starting out. And maybe after you've been going for a while and you're starting to get some things under your belt, you might could get like one of those multi-effects things. It's like a all-in-one deal. That way you'll have access to all kinds of effects without having to buy all these stomp boxes and you can find out what you like. Okay. And, and this is for anybody who wants to become, you know, in a band or a better performer. What are some important keys to being a better performer on stage? Uh, have you taken any, any mannerisms from other performers yourself? Yeah, I mean, growing up watching all the 80s, like, videos, like, I noticed there was a lot of, like, jumping and, like, kicking and spinning and diving and stuff. And so, like, I initially, like, pulled from that. And you had Metallica. They headbanged a lot. But mm-hmm. a big one is, like, learning how to play to the back of the room. So, like, you know up close subtle movements like say you're on camera even like subtle movements are picked up more easily but in the very back of the room they're not so sometimes you have to like use these crazy big exaggerated movements for the people at the back of the room and um one thing that's commonly taught is to always play to the back of the room but i think that you should also play to the front of the room 
Like you should do both, you know? Right. And really just like feeding off of people. Like I was saying earlier, like, you know, look out in the crowd, like look at people and interact with them. Like to, that's the, the funnest stuff for the people there. Like it can be very self-indulgent to get up there and do flips and spin around and stuff. And it might look cool, but like for somebody that's there watching you, they're going to appreciate it a lot more if you look at them and smile or wave, you know, like because then they're included. It's not just like a, a me, me, me thing. It's like, then you're actually kind of like sharing a moment together. And it, a lot of people see that too. Like uh, people, anybody I'm friends with, you know, I'm sure you've seen like when you come to a show, like when you walk in, like you'll see me like, hey, what's up? Like from the stage, yeah. you know? Yeah. So are there any bands that you listen to that people would be surprised if they knew? Yeah. Uh, uh, the All the the emo, screamo, like, and really the, the main ones, like I said, are uh, Falling in Reverse, Black Bill mm-hmm. Brides, and Escape the Fate. Like, I probably listened to those three bands the most. Them and uh, The Darkness. So that's that's kind of like modern day, you know, hard rock, glam kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. But yeah, like all the Falling in Reverse, Escape the Fate stuff, that's more like metal, I guess, like modernized metal. Um, but yeah, so it's like totally different from the stuff that we play, but I love it, man. It's super cool. I was thinking more of like guilty pleasure type things. Guilty pleasures? Yeah. Um, like maybe some I mean, Backstreet like, Boys or something, <laughs> something like yeah, that. Yeah, dude. I get down on Backstreet <laughs> Boys and I, and I used to freaking hate Nickelback, but like I know why they were so successful because they've got, I mean, their songs are such well crafted. And mm-hmm. for a long time too, another a big guilty pleasure was Hinder. I've always been a, I love been a huge yeah. Hinder fan. And now I don't know. I guess where I'm at now is I don't I don't really feel guilty about anything, you know. Like, like I said, when somebody's uh successful or great at something, I usually can see why. You know, a lot of people talk crap. They're like, "Oh, they don't deserve that." You know, it's stupid that they're famous or whatever. But usually, they didn't get there by accident. You know, right? Or at least you don't stay there by accident. But yeah, like I've always thought Hinder was great, especially for like a modern rock band. They still had some uh, stuff that was kind of throwback. And we're just at a weird place in rock music right now um, that we're ready for that next wave of modern rock and roll. What do you think that's going to look like? Because obviously, like we were talking earlier, a lot of bands don't, uh, you know, put in that. I mean, they'll do a good performance, but when it comes to their appearance, it, it severely lacks. Like a lot of bands now, they just wear like jeans and a t-shirt. And, you know, that's about it. Like you were saying earlier, like, what do you think is the next evolution in rock music? And when do you think that will that will happen? Well, you're already seeing um, a lot of these rappers have been working with rock people like uh mm. travis barker the drummer for blink 182 right he's been playing with a lot of rappers and then uh uh machine gun kelly like mm. he was a rapper then he played tommy lee in the dirt and what's weird is i've seen him live before and what's yeah. crazy when i saw him live like all his rap songs or whatever live mm. he had a full band playing his songs even though he was rapping or whatever like, he wasn't just up there rapping over, like, a backing track. Like, he had a drummer, guitar player, bass player, all up there, like, playing 
the stuff. So it sounded more rock than it did like on the recordings. And then he even plays some guitar some, and they covered a few Blink-182 songs. But now Machine Gun Kelly just put out like a rock album. Like it's uh it's like kind of pop punk sounding. And then um what's the other guy? I'm I'm drawing a blank. Um Post Malone. Or... Oh okay, yeah, yes. Post Malone. Oh with you know, Ozzy? Yeah, he's doing more rock stuff. And for Did you a hear long that song time, he did with Ozzy? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I thought it was good. Um I think that a lot of these rappers um, like they're very inspired by rock and roll. Like they're mm-hmm. trying to be rock stars. Like they're trying to be flashy and stuff. You know, like where do you think they got that from? You know, right. like from rock stars. And um, and now you're seeing some of them actually going more in that rock direction. And some of the rock guys that are still around are like kind of working with them. But that's what's weird is like rap rock has already been done. You know. Yeah. So like and. Also, like me and Max, our bass player, we talk about this a lot. Uh, like pop punk, almost everybody likes pop punk. You know, like yeah. it's just feel good music. It's hard not to like it. So, like that's where I what I see going on right now is that like rock and rap are starting to merge to some extent, and then you're you know, having the pop punk stuff. And all along too, you've had these legacy bands like you know Def Leppard. You know, like they still sell out these huge venues. You know, Metallica, like all that stuff, like classic rock, like it's still going strong. So obviously people still like that stuff. And really and truly, like I was talking about football earlier, like I feel like a lot of people, they just need to be shown the way. Like so many people, no no offense to them, but they're just stuck in this like, being a follower mentality like oh like everybody thinks this is cool so that's what i'm gonna like too so i'll fit in and they might not even like realize that they're doing that but that's what they're doing like they just like what everybody else likes and you know it's, it's, it's social proof it, it happens but when they're exposed to something else sometimes they like that more and that, that's how i was like i just i never felt the need to fit in I just liked what I liked and did what I did just because that's what made me happy. You know, I think it'll come back around again, like the appearance and all that and and rock and roll music because, uh, I mean, emo really is basically, I think, new wave. Like, you know, a lot of the people listening to this probably know what that is. That's what, do you you agree with that or no? Like the cure and all that stuff, like it could be pretty much like our, (laughs) yeah. So uh, if you weren't doing what you're doing now, what do you think you would be doing instead? And what do you think your life would look like right now? Man, it could go in like so many different directions. Cause like, I love fitness and health. Like outside of music, one of my favorite things to do is go to the gym. So like, I could see myself doing something fitness related, but at the same time, like it doesn't seem like there's a lot of money to be made in that niche. I mean, I know there's people that are making money, but I know that it's, um, it seems like it would be harder than other niches Um, just because like the general population doesn't work out. You know, it's gotten more popular than it used to be, but, but yeah, like I would say the average person, the majority probably that they're not into going to the gym and stuff, but um, 
I love it. Think it's awesome. Uh, my dad actually was a bodybuilder, um, so he he actually like won some shows and stuff too. And um, he did triathlons growing up, so I always liked that kind of stuff. Um, so I don't know, maybe something in that kind of niche, or um, like hmm. you know, this might sound crazy, but you know, music playing in a band on all that it is a business, you know. And so over the years, I've learned a lot about business and stuff, and I I love it, man. Like hmm. uh, we had this big conversation before we got started about all that, and you know, just like you, like I love learning new stuff and honing my skills in all these different areas so like i could see myself like running a business you know selling some type of product um especially like something that i really believe in you know I was, i'm a passionate person so like and i'm very like driven so i feel like if i was not playing music that i would be like putting the same amount of like passion and energy into like whatever it was that I was doing. Um, Cause you know, like I, I got into uh, like cryptocurrencies and like trading uh, stocks and stuff for a while. Mm. And like, I remember telling my dad, like, you know, I feel like I could be great at this if I like really put my mind to it. Mm. Like, um, cause I have people come up to me and they'll be like, wow, you are just so talented at playing guitar. And I never think about it that way as, as like talent. Like I think about it as that like, well, I just put a lot of time and care into this. And I feel right. like if it wasn't guitar, it would be something else that like, especially after like learning to play an instrument and getting like pretty good at it. I feel like I know that process now and that I could apply that to anything, like whatever I put my mind to. Mm-hmm. And that was another reason why I think you and I got along so well, because you and I started uh, talking more about business and we got into real estate investing as well. And then there are so many times when, especially at the Cachada Casino, uh, we stayed we stayed awake until like six o'clock, eight in the eight o'clock in the morning. And then <laughs> like so many good times with you. But we talked about so many various topics, you know, of everything. And that's how we really I think we really started to, you know, bond and everything. Yeah, but, man. Yeah, I love that stuff. Like, yeah, and all like the personal development stuff, and um, and I feel like a lot of people are scared of it because they're like, they feel like if they read a book on personal development, they're admitting that something's wrong with them. And I don't look at it like that at all. Like, I look at it like, all right, like things are already great. How can we make them even better? You know? Right. So I I love diving into all that stuff, all the Tony Robbins, you know, all yes. the, all that stuff, man. I find it very fascinating and helpful. Real quick, uh, before we go on any further, who else do you listen to? I know Tony Robbins, because this is important, because I've talked about these people on my podcast before. So if anybody who, um, you know, wants to get better, like in personal development or want to fix something about their life or, you know, just need some encouragement or something. Yeah. Um, who are some other people you listen to, like Earl Nightingale, Jim Rohn? Who else? Well, um, you know, I think it's important to start off by saying that anybody like that that you follow online, they're probably not going to have all the answers. Mm-hmm. Um, more often than not, you're not really learning the how-to, but you're learning the mindset and like the general concepts behind stuff. And some of them may have a little bit of a how-to, 
But um, you just have to be careful not get caught up in buying these courses for like thousands of dollars and stuff because a lot of this information yep. can be learned anywhere. But I always liked Ty Lopez, even though that he's kind of basic and it's very entry <laughs> level and um, and it's, you know, it's, it's very like for beginners, you know, and he doesn't teach a lot of how to. But I do think that he's got a lot of wisdom. Um, as I told you earlier, like if you were to focus on your health, wealth, love and overall happiness, like you can't go wrong with that. Like you get all of those in check you're going to be better off than 99% of people. Um, you know, Grant Cardone was another one. I just found him very motivational more than anything. The whole 10X, you know, anybody that knows me personally knows, like, I've, I've got the 10X hat that I wear all the time and bumper sticker. So, like, I totally drink that Kool-Aid as well. Um, Jordan Belfort, uh, Wolf of Wall Street, that's probably my favorite movie that and uh getting to the greek like those are my two favorite movies um, <laughs> yes. a lot of people don't realize that you know that wolf of wall street that he's like a real guy like i don't know i guess like in the movie they don't say this is based on a true story but he's a real guy all of that really happened and he really is a genius when it comes to sales and i know you know people that you know that are listening to this that know us like more from like the music side of things be like well why why do you care about learning about sales? Like you're a guitar player, you know, but sales goes into everything in life. You know, whether it's selling yourself, you know, selling right. idea. And, um, and some people think that it's manipulative and I don't really see it that way. Like, because, Hey, like if I'm trying to sell you on an idea or sell myself and you know, you're not feeling it, you don't like it. Like that's, everybody's different. Not, not everybody has to like it. But I think that uh, learning that stuff can just help you in life, getting uh, your point across. Because I mean, there's been times that like I was thinking about buying something and I wasn't sure, and I needed like a little push or encouragement to buy it, and I was so glad that I did because then I enjoyed it. I was like glad that I spent the money on it. I just needed that extra push, you know. So mm -hmm. I think learning sales can be beneficial to everybody. And I think that Jordan Belfort is just a very entertaining guy, you know. And probably the, my favorite uh, YouTube, like, personal development channel to watch is uh, RSD, Real Social Dynamics. Like, they, like, started out being known, like, for, like, dating advice and stuff. But now they're more in, like, personal development. And they've always been, like, they dive into social dynamics and like you, I find psychology like very fascinating um, yeah, yeah. and social dynamics. So they like dig into a lot of that stuff as well. That's kind of like where their focus is now. And um, man, they they just like are pioneers when it comes to that. Like, like you know, people go to therapy or see like a psychologist or whatever. Like I feel yeah. like there's people like uh, RSD that are like way ahead of that, of like the traditional sense of it. Like some of their concepts are just like groundbreaking. You know, Robert Greene is another good one to get into. Oh, yeah. Yeah, he's got some great books, man. Mm -hmm. Did you read the one that he did with 50 Cent? I read all of them, man. I devoured his yeah. material. I love it. Yeah. Um, there's been a few of them that I haven't made it through. Like uh, what's the, the newest one? Like Human Nature? 
Oh yeah, like, Laws of Human Nature. Laws of Human Nature. Yeah, I hadn't yeah. made it through that one all the way. It's a massive but, um, book. Yeah, his books <laughs> are just so long, but there's a lot of like crazy stuff in there that like it's good to know and at least be aware of. You know, like one thing that that um we talked about before, like we went um live with this or whatever, is like getting different perspectives on things and you know, getting different viewpoints on things. And I think that's really important. You know, if you don't agree with it, it's good to be aware of it. And learning every angle can help you formulate your own opinion. We're, we're talking about that a lot before, you know, we started, especially now we need that more than ever. We need these discussions. We need, you know, for people to not believe that they're 100% right all the time. We need to listen to under, uh, other people. We need to, not just listen, but try to understand the other person, where they're coming from, why they think the way that they do. And so that's why, you know, I feel like that's another reason why you and I connected so well is because we believe in that same thing. We'll talk with anybody who, you know, we disagree with uh, as long as they're being civil and everything. But yeah, see, I feel like one uh, one gift that I've always had is I feel like I'm really good at understanding um, the other side of things. Like when somebody does something, that might make other people mad or they just can't believe that they would do that. I usually can at least understand like their thought process because I've, I've tried to put myself in their shoes. Um, And when you look at it like that, you realize that everybody's the good guy in their own mind. You know, like usually the villain doesn't think they're the villain. Like they think that they're the good guy. And, um, and so I just I feel like I've always been really good at taking a step back and seeing things from everybody's perspective. And when you do that, it it um for one, you get triggered less, you're less reactive, and you know, you can I feel like you're just more tolerable to like deal with stuff when you see from all angles. I, I agree, man. So a couple of more questions before we start wrapping it up. So what are some things about you people don't know? Uh things about me that people don't know. Um yeah, I guess the fact that like I've got this massive bookshelf full of books that I love knowledge, I love learning stuff. Um, I'm very like driven. Yeah, like obviously with my music, but just in life in general. So like used to growing up, like I partied a lot, and now like I feel like I invest in myself a lot. So like when I'm not playing, like I'm in the gym, I eat like super clean. I'm always like feeding my brain and um, I'm also like into investing. Like we were talking a little bit about that earlier, but like, you know, I'm, I'm looking at charts like Bitcoin stock market, all that stuff, like very interested in it. Like I look at it almost every day and formulate ideas and theories about stuff. So like, yeah, like I feel like, um, you know, being a band guy a lot of times you know people see you as kind of being one dimensional but like yeah i'm trying to just win at life you know Mm -hmm. so what what does music and playing the guitar mean to you it's it's interesting because like you know with van halen passing away yesterday it's almost like like guitar is like this lost art form you know like guitar driven music isn't at the forefront like it used to be and i feel like very passionate about keeping that alive and um yeah i 
I know I'm not on TV and I'm, I'm not, you know, a nationally known musician or anything, but at least in the Southeast, you know, I've got some influence and mm-hmm. I also encourage other guitar players as well. Like all my friends that play guitar, it's not competitive at all. Like we share ideas and we respect each other and stuff because like I'm really like looking out for the thing as a whole. Like, yeah, like I want to carry the torch, but also want to see my peers carrying the torch as well. And that's something I'm super passionate about. Cause like I said, you just, these people, these greats, they're, they're dying off, you know? So like, us people that are still around, it's more important than ever to share that with the world. Right. I agree. And uh, to finish it off, I thought I'd have like a little bit of fun. Uh, just for us the people to get right. to know you more as well. Yeah. So I want to do like a little lightning round with you. So okay. just whatever, whatever, whatever comes to your mind, just go ahead and say it. All right. All right. Okay. All right. So top three current favorite bands right now. Favorite bands right now. Um, yes. Falling in Reverse. The Darkness, and Van Halen. Okay. If you were on a deserted island, what is the one album you would want to have on you? Ah, oh, man. That is tough. One album. Yep. Uh, probably Dying is Your Latest Fashion by Escape the Faith. Okay. Favorite movie of all time? Oh, well, as we said earlier, it'd either be uh, Getting to the Greek or Wolf of Wall Street. But man, there's there's a lot of good ones, but I feel like those are like the two that I always come back to. Top three favorite emo bands. Emo bands? Yes. Uh, yeah, Blackville Brides, Falling in Reverse, Skate the Fate. So most underrated band of all time. Underrated? Yes. God, I, I don't want to keep saying like the same bands. Like I feel like the darkness is super <laughs> underrated because like nobody knows who they are. But um God, I'm trying to think of like a good one, like that's underrated. Um, I guess it just kind of depends on like, like what style you're coming from. I feel like a lot of people are underrated in general. Like, like this is totally like off topic, but like, like the Kardashians. Like people are like, that's stupid that they're famous. Like, why are they famous? Well, they are famous and they've stayed famous. Like they. They're, they've got something figured out and they're doing it right. Mm-hmm. And so like, I feel like people are just dismissive as a whole. Like they'll just talk crap on somebody, but like, I don't know. Like, I, I feel like people are just underrated in general. Okay. Fair enough. So top three books you would recommend. I would say uh, Robert Kiyosaki, like rich dad, poor dad, like, or any of his books. Yes. Um, I'm looking at my bookshelf right now. Um, Robert Green, yeah, Robert Green, he's got some really good stuff. Here, let me pull up my iBooks. Uh, glance at this real quick. All right, because I've got so many. Like God, I've read so many books, and I, I love the the audio books too. Same. Um, if you're speaking of which, um, with all the Van Halen stuff, if you go on YouTube there's a it's for free their manager wrote a book van halen's manager um and it's called running with the devil and it's his perspective of managing van halen being on the road with them 
from like their very start, like all the way up to when David Lee Roth left. And it's like a super interesting behind the scenes look like book. I mean, it's, I'd never even heard of it. And I saw the the guy on Joe Rogan talking about it and then found the book on YouTube for free. Okay. Another one, uh, the way of the superior man. Um, I think that's a book that every guy should read as early as possible, like through your teenage years or whatever, like you should read that book. I so, yeah, like that. Robert Kiyosaki, um, Robert Greene, and then uh, Way of the Superior Man. If you could go back and see any one band perform live, who would it be? Oh, I would go back and see Randy Rhodes first. Um, it'd be cool to see Elvis or uh, Jimi Hendrix, oh, Jim Morrison. It's just it's crazy when people are dead, you know, like nobody will ever see them again. And um, for Randy Rhodes, you know, he's, that's why I started playing guitar. Like he was only famous for two years. You know, he he uh, formed Quiet Riot in the late 70s, but they like they hadn't gotten a record deal or anything yet. And then he joined Ozzy and made two albums and died two years later. And like left this huge impact on the world, you know, like not that many people probably even got to see him play live, but like his songs and his inspiration is like still going today, like all these years later. And he only had two years to make that happen. It's crazy. Well, you know, with the hologram technology advancing, we might be able to, you know, get the, at least the next best thing to it. Yeah. It's just, I don't know. Like, especially somebody, you would have to get, like, an old live recording and then just look at video. You know, for instance, Randy Rhodes, there's not very much video footage of him out there. There's really not. Like, so there's not even much to go off of. But, yeah, that's scary to think that, yeah, like, you could have a hologram out performing. Like, you could have the same concert going on across the whole world at the same time. But it's just not as authentic at the same time. Like, I don't know. Did you see uh, in Coachella they had Tupac? Yeah, that's, that's what I'm saying. Like, like, And they tried to have him be like, what up, Coachella? Like, or like pointing at people in the crowd. Like, mm. it's just not authentic. Like, like I was saying, like, when we're playing and – like, I see somebody I know in the crowd, like, that's a real, like, we're saying, hey, like, we're making eye contact. Or, like, every show, like, even if we have, like, the same, like, songs we're doing or whatever is unique in its own way. Like, tiny little stuff happens that just makes it unique. It's like a fingerprint. Each show it has got its own fingerprint. All right. So, top three favorite video games of all time. Oh man, dude, I used to get down on some Call of Duty. Like <laughs> all into Call of Duty. Um like you used just to every guy's probably go-to. spend like way too much time playing it, you know? Like everything else in my life started just kind of falling by the wayside because I was like I get addicted to video games. Um Assassin's Creed, that was another one that I got sucked into and was just like playing it nonstop. And uh, the Batman Arkham games. Oh, yes. Those are awesome. And, you know, 
I'm sure a lot of people know this, but like I'm a complete nerd, dork, whatever. Like it comes to superheroes and all that kind of stuff. Like I love that stuff. I watch all the Marvel movies. Uh, I've been obsessed with Batman since I could barely walk. My dad actually rented a real Batman costume and showed up to my birthday party one year and I about shit myself. So yeah, I mean, for some reason, like growing up, it was like superheroes, rock stars, and pro wrestlers. Like <laughs> those three things I just thought was like the coolest thing ever. Okay. Uh, top favorite uh, wrestler then of all time? Probably Hulk Hogan. But, you know, th- there's a lot. And I feel like the older wrestlers were cooler. Like Macho Man, Hogan, Ultimate Warrior. I was a big Sting fan. Um, of course, I loved The Rock and Stone Cold. I actually got to meet Diamond Dallas Page when I was a kid. Yeah, I, I just feel like uh, the, the more old school guys were more like rock stars. You know, and like nothing against like John Cena because he's like mega successful, but like I felt like he kind of lost like with his era, like it wasn't like they're rock stars as much anymore. Like he he just was more like kind of like a meathead or something, like just some like big tough guy, shaved head kind of thing versus like back in the day, you know, like Hulk Hogan, Macho Man, like they had long hair and they were like a damn cartoon character. Just, I guess there was just more larger than life. Uh, favorite restaurant or fast food place to eat at? Man, it it is so hard eating on the road, trying to eat healthy. So, um, <laughs> yeah. I like Panera, um, Panda Express, and Chipotle. And then, if we're just talking about like wanting to eat some good food, doesn't matter if it's healthy. Like, there's this place in Florence, Alabama, called Riccatoni's. They have the best ravioli. Like if I'm wanting to have like a cheat meal or something, like that is my go-to. It is delicious. As a Texan born, I am uh, appalled that you didn't say Whataburger. But see, we'll I don't like Whataburger. Well, like, no, I you're not, you're not a In and Out person, are you? I do like In and Out, but I've only oh, been like oh, two no. or three times. Yeah, Cam and Chris, they hate In and Out. I hate it too. Yeah, I don't know why. The only reason I can come up with why people don't like In and Out is because like there's not much variety. Like like all you can get is like a burger and fries, pretty much. So like you can't get anything else really. But I just feel like the food's like fresher and like better. Um, but yeah, like Whataburger, like yeah, I I feel like it's like going to uh like McDonald's or Burger King or something, you know. Uh. Yeah, and then I saw that video about the rat. I don't know if you saw on Facebook. There was like, no, they wouldn't that. say what what a burger it was, but there was a rat running across the counter. I was like, oh man. <laughs> but uh, hey, we do eat what a burger a good bit when we're in Texas. For like, for whatever reason, that just kind of became the spot. I don't know if it's because it's like the only thing open when we get done. But a lot of times, like, we'll go eat Whataburger and, like, some of our fans and stuff will come eat there with us and we'll have kind of, like, a little low-key after party. Mm-hmm. But, hey, Five Guys, I, it's to me, like, oh, that's yeah. a good burger. Like, if, and, I, if uh, I want a really good burger, I'd go to, like, Five Guys or, like, Steak and Shake. They've got this garlic burger. I don't know if you ever tried it. 
dude. <laughs> it is crazy good. I have to try it because I've only went to like Shake Shack. I don't think I've actually tried. Uh, yeah, I I try to eat so dang healthy, man. Yeah, my the the food I eat would probably be so boring to the average person. But I, that's just something I'm passionate about, you know. Like I feel like what I'm putting in my body like should be fueling me and like helping me, not hurting me. So I I put a lot of attention to it, and I, but I try not to be annoying about it because like. Right. Some people that like eat real clean that are like on paleo or whatever, like they'll, it's like they have to let, or somebody that's vegan, they have to like let everybody know about it and they just make a big scene about it. Like I try not to do that. Like try not to be a pain in the ass with it. Like I just, that's my choices to eat healthy and I try not to like impose it on other people or anything. And lastly, favorite place to play at? Now that's super hard. Um, because there's so Top many. Yeah. Um, I've always loved playing the Hangout and Gulf Shores. Um, which sucks that the not only like Corona and all that, but this that hurricane that came through it tore up Gulf Shores. And I've yeah. I've been going there since I was a little kid. Um, so I've I've always just loved being in Gulf Shores. Um, uh, but Hangout super fun. Um. There's this one that we do for the Kentucky Derby in Louisville. It's like outside and it's like super, super packed. That one's fun. Um, there's Shrimp Fest, which is also in Gulf Shores. There's like thousands of people at it. Um, but yeah, there's so many. Like, like there's probably more places that I like really enjoy playing than there are places that like aren't as fun. All right, and uh, we have come to the end of the episode. So is there anything, you know, final thoughts you would like to say and where can people reach you at? All right, well, I just want to thank anybody that sat around and, like, listened to us for this long. You're still here. We appreciate it. Thank you. Um, I'm on Instagram, Facebook, YouTube, all of that. Um, If you search just Chase West, it should pop up. I believe my Instagram is Chaser W. Now, maybe you could put some of the links in down below the video right. or uh, audio clip or whatever. But yeah, I'm most active on Instagram, and then I'm on Facebook as well. So if anybody like wants to shoot me a message or anything, feel free to. Um, especially when it comes to guitar stuff. Um, like I said, I teach Skype lessons. And then um, I'm going to actually have some guitar videos coming out soon. So also uh, keep an eye on my YouTube. And that's just uh, Chase West on YouTube as well. Perfect. And uh, thank you, Chase. It's been a pleasure having you on. Hey, thanks, guy. I love what you're doing, man. Thank you. And everybody else, hope you enjoyed this episode. Um, The Velcro Pygmies is the name of his band. So check him out. Uh, Excellent guitar player, excellent band. You'll have a lot of fun at their shows. Um, Other than that, everybody, thank you again and take care.